0: Today we have two scriptures and the first scripture reading is from Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13 which can be found on your pew Bibles on page 983 Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13 at that time The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves." But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The second scripture reading is from John chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, and also verses 15 to 18. which is on ten forty nine. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning and welcome to Knox. Would you join me in prayer? We've heard your word, God. Now we pray that you open our hearts so that word would get planted deep inside and so that would bear the beautiful fruit of your gospel in our lives, in our city, in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as Ashley mentioned already, it is a new year in the church. The church works its way through time in a different way, not according to uh, the calendar that we have of January through December, but there's an ancient way that Christians have always marked time. As they looked at the annual rhythm of the calendar, early Christians believed that it gave us a really perfect opportunity for uh, uh, Christians, for the church, to reenact the story of Jesus, to retell the story of salvation. And so it created its own calendar, which you see up here. It is telling the story of Jesus first half of the year, and it begins in December, maybe November, late November, early December, with Advent. This is the season we begin now and then it moves to Christmas. And you remember, you know, the crazy song about the 12 days of Christmas? Well, that comes after. That's Christmas and the 12 days following. That's the season of Christmas. And then January, February, you have this season of Epiphany, which unpacks and looks at how Jesus, the miracles, the teachings of Jesus. And then you come into the season of Lent. And Lent is a time in which we journey with Jesus to the cross. It's a season of in which we mark the suffering of Jesus. And then there's the Easter season, in which we celebrate the resurrection. We need a long time to to realize the fullness of what the resurrection means for our lives. And then there's a Pentecost season, in which we celebrate the giving of the Spirit, the ascension of Jesus, and the giving of the Spirit. And then the last half of the year is what's called ordinary time. And that looks at the story of God's people, of Israel in the Old Testament, of the church in the New Testament. So it's a full cycle of telling time, of living through the year, but according to the biblical story of salvation. Now today is the beginning of that calendar. Today begins the season Christians call Advent. It is four weeks that precede Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And it is, I think, one of those beautifully... Countercultural pieces of being a Christian. Because while the rest of our culture is being swept up in the high and holy season of consumerism, holiday consumerism, wrung in with relentless marketing, you know it, right? Christians do something different. Advent gives us this really lovely alternative to marking this time, a welcome contrast to the holly jolly busyness all around us. Instead of preparing for Christmas by by buying enough gifts and getting to go to all the right parties and drinking enough gingerbread lattes, Advent instead prepares us for Christmas more soberly, more quietly. Advent says, let's stop the Santa soundtrack for a little bit. Let's wait one minute and ask an important question. What hope do you have to celebrate with a world in such a mess? Is all your happy holiday wishes rooted in anything more than mere sentiment? Another odd thing about Advent is that in spite of its reputation as a preparation for the birth of Jesus Christ for Christmas, the main focus for Advent is really on the second coming of Jesus. It is a season of of profound, fierce hope, a looking back certainly to the birth of Jesus at Christmas, but more so an anticipation of the return of Jesus. That is the major focus, the future coming of Jesus as the judge of all things, the judge of history at the end of time. The parable that we heard this morning, the parable of the ten bridesmaids, the ten young women, comes at the very end of the book of Matthew, and it's part of a series, a chunk of teaching at the very end of Jesus' life and ministry that is all focused in on judgment day on the return of Jesus as judge. And it it strikes sort of an ominous note. It's an ominous note on which Jesus ends his public ministry. I think for many of us today, we might read that teaching and hear even that Jesus is coming as judge. And well, we're not big fans of that. Let's say it that way. there is a reaction to any hint of judgment in our culture. Any mention of judgment is, ironically, condemned as judgmental. That's one piece, but it's interesting, at the very same time, the notion of justice is a deeply held concern in our society. Certainly, as of late, it's held high, it's enshrined in our cultural moment. People are passionate about justice, which is a good thing. We should be glad for that. But there's a double-mindedness about that. We we react to judgments. We embrace justice. There's a double-mindedness in this. How can you reject judgment and yet hold to justice? Because any notion of justice is rooted in a judgment. A judgment that something, some act, some word, some attitude is evil and wrong, while another act or word or attitude is good and right. Any and every notion of justice always finds its foundation in a judgment of what is good and what is evil. You cannot have justice without a right judgment. And I think if we're honest, if we really look at our reaction to judgment, our Western aversion to judgment is really, I think, mostly a sign of our privilege, because suppose you are one of the 40 million people today trapped in slavery. 40 million. Can you believe that? Right now, today. Suppose you are a young teenage girl who was trafficked and exploited in the worldwide sex industry. Suppose you're a Christian in Nigeria, which has been named one of the most dangerous places on earth for Christians, and where this October more than 55 Christians were killed houses and shops and churches burned. Suppose you're an indigenous person living on a reserve in Canada where the conditions are so abysmal you have not known clean water for who knows how long. If you were those people, I think you'd very much look forward to Jesus coming as a judge. You would long very badly for God to come and judge this world and hold to account all those who are committing those heinous atrocities. Judgment would be a welcome thing. Advent begins with the recognition that human progress is really a deception. So says Fleming Rutledge. Advent begins with the recognition that this world really is a dark place after all, which is precisely where the parable of the ten young women, the ten bridesmaids, begins. We hear about ten bridesmaids who come, and they're coming to welcome the groom. But where's the groom? The groom's absent, and it's night. And so the bridesmaids wait in the dark, which is a picture of our world. The Advent season asks some pretty tough questions, like where is God in this dark world? If God has already come in Jesus Christ, Why do things seem so stubbornly wrong in this world? Why do so many terrible things happen? And when those terrible things happen, where is God in all that? Those are good Advent questions to ask. And like this parable that Jesus tells, Advent begins in that place, in the dark, with an absent groom. The big theme of Advent is hope. But we can hardly speak of hope unless we're willing to look squarely at the overwhelming presence of evil in the world. And any and every faith and philosophy that ignores the dark side of life, that is just fundamentally dishonest. And I think all of us know that because we're just not strangers to this darkness. All of our Western wealth and privilege, it simply won't protect us from the darkness that we experience that falls upon our lives. We know it when we walk with a loved one in their final days of life. We feel it when families break apart, when when the people closest to you are not the people you thought they were. We feel it sometimes at church when friends we know and love leave our church for another one. We've seen it this fall in our Alpha, our Alpha ministry, which is a place for people to ask questions about the Christian faith. And this year, a young Muslim woman was part of our Alpha, and she became a Christian. She experienced the beautiful, bright light of Jesus in her life, something beautiful shone brightly in her life. But as she told her family, she was rejected. We know what this darkness is like. And so we know what it is to wait in the dark. We're waiting for a better world. But we don't do that in fear. We live right now in a world that is racked with fear and anxiety. But fear, as one author Marilyn Robinson said, is not a habit of Christian mind. Why? Because we know that this darkness that we experience, that we honestly confront, the suffering in the world, it is not ultimate. It does not form the bottom line to this life. And so instead of fear and anxiety about the future, Christians hope. Christians fiercely hope. The Christian faith holds both of these things together. We are honest about the darkness we face in life, and yet we wait in hope, with confidence, for God's coming kingdom. We stand between that first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus in in a place that feels like a tension place. Tension between the way things are and the way things ought to be. But we hope in Advent, the good that we look forward to, the great hope is that Jesus is coming to judge all that is wrong and broken. Throughout the Bible, God's justice. It's always connected with, with God's righteousness, with this rightness of the way God acts. It's the same word in Greek and Hebrew, justice and Righteousness. The hope of Advent is that when we look forward to the return of Jesus as judge, he's going to make all things new according to his rightness. And that should change how we view, how we posture ourselves towards judgment. Jesus as the judge will justify, he will make all things right, including us. He will make all things that are spoiled and ruined and broken right. And he's already begun to do that through the cross. The judgment Jesus took on the cross made it so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means the judge of all history and humanity is the one who has died for you. He is the one who, out of love, has given his life for your sake, which means there is a massive difference between judgment and condemnation. We need not fear Jesus as judge. We need not fear the judgment of God because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think of that most famous verse of the Bible, I think. John 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Most often we stop there. You've got to continue. It goes on to say, for God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved, made right through him. Jesus comes to judge the world, yes, to rid it from all that is wrong and twisted and broken, but he does not come to condemn the world. And so Advent grows in us this deep longing, yes, Lord Jesus, come Return in power and glory when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that you are Lord over all. To help us get a little better sense of this, can I nerd out for you theologically for just a little bit? Let me visually portray something. God has created us, this world, in a space-time continuum. So we have... This world, that blue circle, that's our world, our history as we know it. From beginning, its first moments to final end, God has created this world. But humans rebelled against God and so filled this life with misery. A shadow of darkness filled filled this age. And so God sent his son to enter this misery, this darkness, to, to save and restore the created world to restore the created order and beauty of God's kingdom. And Jesus' first coming literally split time into two ages, the old age and the present age that we live in now. In his first coming on the cross, Jesus defeated decisively sin and death, overcame the powers of sin and death that claimed this world as their own. And in Jesus, a whole new age has begun. The kingdom of God has come. But we don't experience the fullness of that kingdom right yet. We live in this overlap period between those two circles. It is this overlap. So it is still we experience darkness and yet we experience some hints, hopes of that kingdom to come. We live in this overlap while we wait in this present age for the second coming of Jesus. To bring about the new heavens and the new earth, the full restoration of everything that's good. And our place in history as Christians, this is what Advent is teaching us, our place in history is between these two times, between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, between the passing of the old age and the dawn of this new heaven and new earth. Right now, in that time, we are called to live as people of hope. We do something new. Christians enter, have entered into God's kingdom, into his everlasting life. We know this. We don't experience it fully. That's what some people call this already but not yet experience of the Christian life. The reign of God has begun in Jesus. And so we live in hope in this in-between time. And we do that because we are citizens of this kingdom of God that is at work, of which we are participants already. And so we wait and we watch in hope like those bridesmaids waiting for the groom we watch. We don't know why God takes so long. We don't know why there's still so much darkness. All we know is there is this hope that a groom is returning. Jesus is coming again. He will return in glory. His kingdom has come and he will bring it in all its glorious fullness. This God who cares, who is at work to renew all things, he will come again. And so we wait and we watch. That's the main point of the parable Jesus tells. You could go crazy with all the details of the parable, you know, like why are there 10 women? Why not 12? What does the oil mean? But the point, the big point of the whole parable is be ready. Like the wise women, be prepared. Be prepared. Both the wise and the foolish young women knew there was a groom coming, and so they went out. They made sure, the wise, however, made sure that reality of the groom's arrival impacted their living. You see, hope always shapes our lives, our today. Whatever future hope you're living for, it is impacting how you live today. You and I are just irreducibly hope filled, hope-based creatures. How our life is lived today is actually controlled by what it is we hope for. Think of this illustration. Think of two people. You put it in two rooms, same size room, same lighting, same humidity, same temperature, and you give them exactly the same job to do. They're going to take part A, attach it to part B, and they're going to do that over and over and over again, 10 hours a day. Same circumstances, same setting, same condition but tell the first person in the first room, at the end of the year, by doing this, attaching part A to part B for 10 hours every day, you will make $10,000. Same job. Tell the person in the other room, at the end of the year, you will have made a million dollars. That's going to change how you do your work, isn't it? Same job, same circumstance, but it's not the same job anymore. Because how you do your job, how you process your job, depends on what you believe your future holds. So that person in the first room is saying, can you believe this job? How boring, this is awful, this is unbearably awful. I think I gotta quit, I can't do this. But the person in the second room is saying, it's not so bad, actually it's all right. Why? Again, identical circumstances, are being processed but in completely different ways because of the different futures they believe in. A Christian can experience precisely the same circumstances as someone else, but would process them and engage them in very profoundly different ways because of the hope that we hold. We look forward to a world where all things will come together under the gracious reign of God where creation is restored and healed where relationships are reconciled where our bodies are renewed where conflict ceases we're going to experience life in all its wholeness as it was meant to be and that future vision shapes our living today so that we treat all people with dignity and as we do that, we are trained in them as they were always, as they were created and as they will be in God's future kingdom. Christ offers us this beautiful hope of a world that works right, of a restored world. And while we wait and while we watch for that kingdom to come, we bear witness to that truth that God is at work in this dark world. He is at work making all things new. John the Baptist, who we heard, From the passage of john who came before jesus he came as a witness to the light john pointed to jesus he was bearing the light he's saying he's the one we've been waiting for he's the one full of grace and truth do you want to know what god is like he's the one who is revealing unveiling the fullness the true nature of god and this is our calling as god's people To bear the light in a dark world. To hold out the hope that God is coming. To live lives that are always pointing to Jesus. There is God. There is the life we were meant. How do we do that? It's not that complicated. You do that by caring for the lonely. By welcoming refugees. By providing a meal for the hungry. By providing housing for low-income families, by working for and understanding reconciliation, building healthy, strong families. These are lamps that shine light in dark places. These are works that glorify Christ while we wait for him. This is bearing light and sharing the light of the gospel that you have with others. This is bearing the light. So many people in our city walk around with, with no coherent sense that there is a good future. So many live actually riddled with anxiety and panic because all the stories we're told about future are pretty dark. We've lost as a culture really any sense of hope. You can offer them hope for a life that matters, that their life has some purpose, how God loves them and desires relationship with them. Can you tell them that hope, the good news that God is at work to renew this world, that there is purpose and meaning to life, that there is a reason to fight injustice, to care for the poor and the weak, to forgive, to heal, to serve others in your workplaces. God has begun a good work in Jesus Christ and he's done it in us and so we bear the power of that light to this world, a power that is making us a new creation, giving us people who had no capacity to save ourselves, making us bright witnesses in a dark world. Just through sometimes big, And bold, but often small, sometimes hardly noticed, everyday acts of service and kindness, all those are lamps we hold out to a dark world, shining a light that announces God will come again. Justice will win the day. He will destroy all pain, all evil. He will wipe away every tear and every reason behind those tears. That's the world we live in, friends. And until it comes fully, we wait every day in solidarity with those who sit in darkness, but we live with this unshakable hope of those who expect a new day. Because we're standing not at the end of the fading light of an age, we stand at the dawn of a new day, of God's kingdom that is coming. So wait for it. God is coming, even now, with life. Watch for it. Do you see it? It's here. It's among us now. Witness to it. Hold out the light for others. Let the good news of Jesus Christ sound out boldly. And so, blessed are you in unaccountable faith who bear the light and stubborn hope. In unbearable times, in love that illumines, who testify every broken thing to its endurance it finds amid the unendurable, who bear witness to its persistence when everything seems in shadow and grief. Blessed are you in whom the light lives, in whom the brightness blazes, your heart a chapel, an altar where in the deepest night can be seen the fire that shines forth in you in unaccountable faith, in stubborn hope, in love that illumines every broken thing it finds. Let's pray. Coming, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this fierce, unquenchable hope you have given to us. This is not just blowing sunshine, Jesus. This kingdom hope, it is real, it is alive, it is here among us. May we be faithful bearers of the light wherever it is you take us. Beam brightly through our lives, through simple acts of faith, words of kindness, Words of gospel testimony. Use our lives to bear the light to this world. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.